This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Delta Airlines. Delta, keep climbing. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On Thursday, June 7th, the Washington Post held the first in a series of live news events, bringing together policymakers, elected officials, industry leaders, and other experts for a timely discussion about the future of the aviation industry. In this segment, Republican Senator Roy Blunt and Democratic Senator Maria Cantwell discuss the latest proposals from Capitol Hill that could affect the airline industry. Senator Blunt is the chairman of the U.S. Senate Subcommittee on Aviation Operations, Safety, and Security, and Senator Cantwell is the ranking member on that same committee. Let's listen. Good morning. I'm Sean Sullivan. I'm a national political reporter here at The Washington Post. Uh, My guests today are Senator Roy Blunt, Republican of Missouri. He is the chairman of the Senate Subcommittee on Aviation Operations, Safety, and Security. And we're also joined by Senator Maria Cantwell of the state of Washington. She's the top Democrat on the panel. Welcome to both of you. you. Um, Before we begin our discussion, I just wanted to let our audience here in the room and those watching online know that If you want to ask some questions uh, to the senators, you can tweet those questions with the hashtag takingflight. And so I'll try to get to some of those questions uh, throughout the course of our discussion. Uh, So let's jump right in. I wanted to ask uh, both of you a question about regulations. The the Airline Deregulation Act uh, became law 40 years ago this year. Um, Has deregulation worked, in, in your opinion? And What do you think some of the challenges and some of the opportunities uh, are that lie ahead uh, in terms of regulation and the industry? Well, I think if you look at the response to deregulation and how many more people fly now than they did, how many people not only fly for business but fly for family vacations and other things, uh, you'd have to argue that that deregulation made it possible for a lot more people to, uh, uh, to use the airlines. I think the airlines continue to work on systems that uh, hopefully make that more competitive and, uh, and better, but uh, deregulation works, but that doesn't, in my view, but that doesn't mean that there's not a continued role for both the Congress and the FAA uh, to be sure that it continues to work and, and address the problems as they arise. It is a huge system, bigger than anybody else's in the world, and whether it was regulated or not, it would have challenges, uh, and we need to pay attention to those challenges. Well, first of all, I want to say thanks to the Washington Post for doing this focus on aviation. I think if you asked uh, who uh, has the most interest in aviation in the United States Senate, Roy Blunt and I's name would come up because we see the importance of aviation every day. I think the larger question, uh, not to turn your uh, subject on its ear, but in the context of what's happened to aviation in in that time period during deregulation as well, the safety and technology has improved immensely. We constantly keep focus on whether there is true competition in the marketplace. We want more transparency and consumer bill of rights. So it's not just taken in and of itself, but the changes that have happened in the industry. So do we continue to need to be vigilant about these issues, particularly as they relate to consumers? Yes but we've seen uh, improvements in the aviation sector, and that's what we want to continue to see. 
Uh, so we live in a social media age. We live in an age of cell phone cameras where it's become easier and almost instant for passengers to document their travel experiences, both their good experiences um, and, and their bad experiences. And we've seen passengers document bad experiences mm -hmm. that have gone viral online. You know, we saw a man get dragged off an overbooked flight. We've seen uh, computer malfunctions, ground flights. We've seen two girls barred from boarding uh, a flight because uh, they were wearing leggings. Do you think that the government and the airline industry uh, has done enough to protect passengers and their rights and their safety, uh, or, or should the government, should the industry do more uh, to do that, to safeguard uh, the interests of the passengers? Yeah. Go ahead, Marie. I think we continually need to monitor this. We need to make sure that no one who's a ticketed passenger who sits down on a seat in a flight gets removed from that flight just to be bumped for somebody else. We need that. We need to make sure that no one's captured on an airline for hours. If you're out on a tarmac and, and uh, the plane's not leaving, that passengers have the ability to uh, get off the flight as well. So there are things here that we need to continue to monitor. Yes, a digital age is making a lot of things apparent to people, um, but we want consumers to feel that they have rights. Well, and, and I think that this is, uh, you know, we're adjusting as a society to social media generally, but, but I think this is, uh, social media in these cases allows a lot of accountability. It also allows some significant passenger accountability. We saw an instance uh, just in the last few days where there was a passenger who clearly was not behaving the way a passenger should behave. So uh, both the passenger and the airlines knowing that somebody is watching what they're doing, I think it generally turned out to be a, a good thing, and it's made us address in our committee. Senator Cantwell and I had a hearing pretty quickly after the incident where someone was taken off an airline, uh, and it raised that whole question of overbooking, and is that a reasonable practice? And if it's a reasonable practice, is it unreasonable that the airlines would then need to be willing to do whatever it took to solve the problem that they had created? Uh, and at some point, somebody is going to be willing to get off that uh, airline, in my opinion, for some amount of money and just see which, what, what, what uh, th this, is a, this is a problem that we shouldn't let continue and people that bought a ticket uh, shouldn't be told they're not going to be allowed to fly. But there's a way to deal with a, a plane full of people that is oversold and that's up to the airlines, I think, to figure that out in a way that passengers are feeling good about uh, whatever was offered to them as a determination that they wouldn't be on that plane. I want to ask the both of you about fees, which is something that comes up a lot when passengers book flights. There are baggage fees, there are change fees, there are all sorts of fees. Sometimes people will book flights and say, oh, I didn't know that I was going to pay for this fee or that fee. A couple of your colleagues, uh, Senators Blumenthal and Markey, uh, have introduced a plan that would uh, prohibit these airlines from charging some of these fees if they think they're exorbitant or they're not justified. Is this a good idea, do you guys think? And, and is this something that Congress should explore? And is this a space that lawmakers should be uh, waiting well, into? Well, I think transparency is essential. Everybody wants to know what price they're going to pay, and they don't want to see hidden fees here. So transparency is a good idea. If you look at the airlines that are receiving the highest rankings right now, they're the airlines that really focus on trying to drive down fees for their consumers. And what we want to see is competition that is going to allow that, to continue to see people who are going to offer discount fees and that those, uh, that level of competition gives consumers a choice. So transparency and choice. Well, I think uh, transparency is the, is the key here where 
uh, everything is available to you. Now, I don't think some of the proposals are reasonable where if you're uh, dealing with a, a, a travel agent, they'd have to read everything you, that is possibly available to know about that flight, but that's going to be available to you in multiple ways. Now, if you say, no, I don't have a computer, I don't have an iPhone, I don't have any way, and the, you, you want to go through every possible fee that could be charged or what could happen uh, with that flight, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's an appropriate thing, but to say that you have to be sure you've verbally heard from someone selling you a ticket everything they need to possibly know, that just, that's eventually that's going to add uh, cost and it's also going to mean you're not going to have the kind of help you might otherwise in your case think you need. But as long as that information is available, um, I think what Senator Cantwell said is the key to this. If people want to be on airlines that don't charge many, don't charge fees, and those airlines still have a competitive ticket price, they're going to choose that airline, and I think that's what we see happening. The uh, the the less uh, uh, you see that you're going to be surprised by, the more willing you're able to t to take that second flight on the airline that's not full of surprises. Let's talk a little bit about the big piece of legislation when it comes uh, to the industry on Capitol Hill. That's, of course, the FAA reauthorization re bill. It's quite a mouthful. Uh, it's passed the House. I wonder if uh, the two of you could provide an update on where you see this legislation going in the Senate and what we can expect on the horizon uh, this year. Well, I think the good news there is that it's now in the, uh, in the public discussion about one of the things we hope to get to uh, this summer and uh, get finished. I think both Chairman Thune, the Chairman of the Commerce Committee, uh, and uh, Senator Nelson, the ranking member, are, are both advocating that we get to that bill, as Senator Cantwell and I are. Uh, we need to have some understanding. There's a tax title. There are other reasons we need to have, I think, some at least broad understanding of uh, how we're going to approach the bill and uh, and the time we would take on it. But we, we need to get that done. The, biggest obstacle over the last year and a half has been what we do in terms of air traffic control and moving to the next generation of air traffic control. Uh, and there was, I think, a very healthy discussion of having a different system that uh, would be more like the system in Canada, but that's it. that discussion just never produced the votes to get it done. And so that uh, issue, I think, uh, being out of the way and a willingness to find some way to be sure that we're all comfortable with pilot training uh, are the, the two things that have held the bill back, that and the tax title. And, and I think we've got a uh, broader base of interest in not just extending the current law, but actually uh, getting the bill that we've worked on and the House has worked on to come to a compromise there that, uh, that updates uh, TSA procedures, that updates some of these, uh, these uh, fee and funding, funding procedures. Well, the good news is the discussion between the House and Senate is about four years or five years <laughs> and not just a short-term extension. And so that's, that's the good news for uh, us in the Northwest. SeaTac is the fastest growing airport in the United States and has been. And we need to continue to make the investments that are going to allow us to grow. Uh, we want to continue to make progress on what we call greener skies, the ability to have a clearer, shorter, landing path and to have digitization of our air traffic control system. But we want the infrastructure investments that are going to allow us to serve this growth capacity. Airports are a key economic development tool for any community. Most businesses operate within 10 miles of an airport. 
So the United States continuing to give predictability in an FAA bill about how we're going to keep moving forward on that investment is really critical to our economic growth in the country. I want to remind our viewers that if you want to submit a question for the senators, you can go on Twitter and use the hashtag taking flight, and we'll try to get to, to some of those questions. Uh, Senator Blunt, you brought up the issue of uh, air traffic control, and that was something that became a flashpoint in the FAA right. reauthorization bill debate in the House. There was an effort at, at one point to talk about privatizing um, the air traffic control system. Uh, what do you make of, of that argument, uh, both of you, and uh, do you think any discussion of that will resurface uh, as this bill proceeds through the Senate? Well, I think there's, um, there's merit to looking at maybe a different way to, to have the structure, uh, but that didn't seem, again, let me say, that just didn't produce the votes necessary to get it done. The Congress in uh, about 10 years ago said we've got to move to a better system. We've got to move to a system uh, that uh, doesn't fly from tower to tower, but does this in a better way, keeps, has planes and passengers in the air less time, keeps better uh, track of what's uh, up there and knows where those planes are. Uh, and we need to do that. Now to do that, if we're not going to have a different system, uh, we need to figure out how to fund the improvement in the system we're moving toward. Uh, last year in the uh, the funding bill that we did at the end of the year, uh, there's another billion dollars uh, put into uh, uh, into the air traffic funding uh, amounts, and we think we'll do that exact that another billion dollars again this year. Whether it's that billion dollars or some amount of money, if we're going to do if we're going to get to next gen by, I think the goal was 2025, but we're not much further along than we were 10 years ago. Uh, we have to figure out how to get there, and it will benefit safety, uh, passengers, uh, cost of flying, because you'll just uh, know where planes are and have them in the air uh, less time. So, uh, and, and by the way, on safety, as Senator Catwell mentioned, really the deregulation, the safety uh, numbers have gotten better and better all the time, and, and we always hope there's never uh, an aircraft uh, problem or a loss of life or injury, and we saw a tragic loss of life uh, not too long ago, but that's a very rare occasion in the country that has uh, the, the most airline traffic in the world. Well, Sean, to your question, fuel efficiency, fuel efficiency, fuel efficiency. Mm -hmm. Who benefits from fuel efficiency? The consumer, hopefully with lower fares, the business itself, our competitiveness. So moving towards and getting next-gen implemented is all about the aviation industry taking the advantage of better fuel efficiency by more direct routes. So we want to see that happen. And the debate that's ensued over this private versus not private has really been more of who's going to represent us as you make those decisions on how to fund the implementation of next gen. I hope we can just get in a room and make progress on getting next gen done. Um, I mentioned the Greener Skies Initiative in, in the Northwest and the fact that our uh, aviation has been able to get a lot of our flights landing this way and moving the efficiency. And I think, as Senator Blunt said, there's been some frustration that that's not happened in more spots in the United States to date. So the question is, uh, having those sectors of our economy that help fund the, this aviation infrastructure be comfortable 
with how that's going to get done and to make sure that they're represented in those discussions in the future, that they have somebody to go to. Right now, a lot of people like the fact that they could come and have this in a public forum in the United States Congress and have this discussion. And people sometimes get anxious that if it's going to be this private sector entity, what's going to happen to them and, and, and whether those fees are going to become exorbitant and then they'll have no say in the matter. So look, I just want to accomplish uh, the fact that next gen is critical to that efficiency and it's going to help make us more competitive. And on that topic, uh, Sean, um, you know, probably fuel is the biggest unpredictable cost in airline travel. And uh, I just, we've just been reading this week that jet fuel's going up and airlines are figuring out if they need to adjust their ticket prices to that. And of course, by the time they adjust the ticket prices, airline fuel may be back down. But it is, it is a big unpredictable. So the more you can, uh, you can make this system work in an efficient way, the more you take that unpredictable cost uh, that I'm sure tickets uh, try to anticipate, ticket costs try to anticipate what might happen, and the less you're worried about what might happen, the more you can be competitive on that ticket price. So we're obviously in an election year right now, and air travel is something that voters all across the country uh, go through experience on a regular basis. Are there things, items uh, potentially in the FAA bill, or maybe even outside of that, that, that you guys think would resonate with voters that they care about that could be an issue potentially that uh, could make a difference on whether a voter votes for a candidate uh, of one party or another this fall? Well, I don't know if it's about whether somebody will vote for somebody, but I know this, that in, in our state, these issues of uh, long lines and uh, the dual goal of having security and making sure that our aviation centers are secure and to make sure that they're efficient. and. So we have seen the utilization of uh, canine units as a way to expedite the checking and security at our airport. It has been a huge success. So the FAA just does not have enough canine units to do all of that work. So Senator Blunt and I and Senator Thune and others have been working to improve the capacity of canine units throughout the United States. They are our best line of defense, but they also can go down a row of, of uh, passengers who might be waiting, you know, extra long time because of long lines and clear that line in a matter of minutes. So what we're proposing is to say that airports can also make investments and meet the FAA standard for training of canine units. Now, we hope that this will be added to the package before it's finally passed. Part of this is also working with Homeland Security, but our air transportation system needs this level of efficiency. Plus, that canine, anybody who walks into the front door of that airport, that canine can detect explosives. They are a deterrent in and of themselves in just having them in the airport. So we want to see this massively upgraded in the United States, and, and uh, we think that it works very, very well. I think you know one of the things we've talked about is the, when TSA comes in, when Homeland Security comes in, when airport managers come in, they understand how good how good dogs are here, and even some new new ability to lease dogs, to not have the government have to have to be responsible for dog training and all of this. We can do this in a better way, and it does does clear the lines. You know, something that uh, in this discussion we're we're having now that hasn't been there before is drones in the air. 
uh, in drone activity and, and uh, how much FAA responsibility there is. In some cases, what's the line between FAA and the Department of Defense? Uh, drones can add a lot to the, 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 the commercial opportunities in the air, but they also raise a lot of questions. Where are they? Uh, how do you keep the, be sure you keep them in a way that they don't interfere with commercial air travel? And then you get into the whole topic of uh, how, how much uh, oversight of your property do you want drones to have? In my view, virtually none. But how do, you, how do you deal with that and have drone delivery and other things? And how do you identify every drone? You know, we're talking about putting thousands of things in the air in the next five years that aren't in the air today. How do you deal with that? And then how do you offset the cost? Do, uh, is, is this a, a, a new obligation for people that are using drone delivery vehicles to, uh, to have to be part of the cost of the FAA? If the FAA is going to regulate them, the answer appears to be Absolutely, that should be be part of that discussion. But uh, it's an area that we're just now dealing with in the way that uh, the, the future obviously um, requires us to deal with it. An another thing I wanted to mention, um, I'll, I'll comment about drones, because we certainly want the FAA and the interoperability of those systems to keep moving forward in, in a safe and secure way. We have so many things that they're used for, for helping us with fighting fires and Coast Guard issues. But um, I don't know, anybody here has been through the airport with the automated um, conveyor system where you get a container and put your luggage on it and move through? I don't know if there are people here, but that is also being deployed across our airport. So, you know, the frustration, people get in the line and the person in front of you is taking, you know, you think, oh my gosh, I have to wait for this person to do all this. This new automated system, when you're ready, you move. You know, you stick your luggage on, you stick it on the conveyor belt, and it moves and you move. You can walk around to people. So these kinds of automations are improving the speed at which people are also uh, being able to be vetted through the, the secure system. And uh, they also like it at TSA because then they can take luggage and better uh, evaluate that. So all of these things that are helping us move uh, people through the system are part of what we want to see as a continued improvement of the consumer experience, but we also want to make sure that the safety and security still remain there. We have our first social media question for the two of you. Stacy on Twitter asks, what are we doing to protect the aviation grid from Russians and other countries hacking our infrastructure? Well, this, this is a big issue uh, because we do have state actors who are attacking, attacking our power system. So we want DO, the Department of Energy, to play a very big leadership role working with other federal agencies to upgrade our cybersecurity. And uh, this is an ongoing effort. Senator Murkowski and I have passed legislation out of the Senate. We hope our House colleagues would get more serious about this and take it up because we, it's not just our air traffic control system, but it's other things that they are maneuvering through. I would say the FAA feels good about everyday experiences writ large, but we have to keep making improvements and across our entire grid. Well, cybersecurity, I'm on the Intel Committee. That's probably the thing of greatest concern across the board, whether it's the financial structure, the aviation structure, the uh, the the, the uh, water infrastructure, so much is dependent now on uh, having a, a system, that, a cyber system that works well. Uh, and um, 
you know, one of the things we are, I'm sure, working on as a country would be trying to be sure we have more certainty about where an attack might come from. Uh, we're pretty good at defense. We have no real theory on offense. You know, how do you fight back? How do you make uh, an attack on our critical infrastructure, an attack that someone wouldn't want to make or wouldn't want to see happen from their country, whether it was state-led or individually led? And um, this, is a, this is a huge topic. Uh, if you want to really slow down America in a dramatic way and create health and safety issues, not just the airlines uh, and the airspace, uh, but cybersecurity is something that uh, we have to be very focused on. It's the quickest way uh, to bring our country to a standstill. We're about uh, a year and a half into the new administration, and I wonder if uh, either of you detect any changes uh, in this administration's approach to aviation, to security, to safety, versus uh, the last administration, and has it changed the way uh, that Congress has worked with this administration on, on these issues? Um, what are the big differences that we see? Well, I, I am concerned about the president's trade policies. Um, when we talk about aviation, Roy and I are sitting here talking about aviation, and we're today discussing a lot of the consumer issues. But aviation is a major employer in the United States of America. It employs over 100,000 people in the Northwest in what are manufacturing jobs of good middle-class wages. We don't want to lose that competition. So when we get into these, uh, you know, 50% of our planes are sold overseas into overseas markets, and you start putting tariffs on steel and aluminum, you start to have an impact. We don't want to see a trade war erupt and make the United States less competitive in that important aviation market. I would think from the specific FAA point of view, you're going to, uh, Secretary Chow is going to be here later. Uh, she brings great skills to the Department of, of uh, Transportation. We do need to do a better job filling uh, the jobs that need to be filled by the president. But I, I, I detect a continued uh, increase in engagement uh, on uh, security issues, on, uh, on the uh, issues that make people feel as safe as they can possibly feel about flying. I just think the more we get in the post 9-11 world, uh, the more we're all comfortable with uh, the importance of that goal and also asking the questions that need to be asked. And generally, I think the answers have been pretty good. There's some always some hiring concerns. You know, we've got, we're going to have a pilot concern uh, in future years. The pilots that uh, were trained by the government in World War II and Korea and Vietnam are, are retiring. Uh, and uh, I know uh, one of the airlines recently put a pattern in place where they're going to be training more of their own pilot or training more pilots and encouraging pilots to be trained. That's one of the things we need to be thinking about. But uh, generally, I, th I think uh, the, we just continue to hopefully get uh, better and demonstrably better at the parts of of air travel that the government is is obligated to be responsible for. And along those same lines, we only have a couple of minutes left, but uh, you raise an interesting point, Senator Blunt. I often hear about a pilot shortage around the country. Are there other macro steps that can be taken to address that? And, and how do we explain what's going on in terms of the number of pilots versus the demand? For well, it was one of the training. You know, we had this hours of service or a, a training discussion that's one of the things that's held 
uh, the FAA, Bill Back, a little bit is trying to reach a conclusion there as to about how much training and what kind of training is the right training to put a pilot in the air. Uh, but these are these are good jobs. They're going to be very competitive jobs in the in the near term as pilots do retire. And uh, I think uh, the airlines themselves are for the first time. Uh, taking more responsibility and looking at what they need to be thinking about to be sure that people can get the training they need, have access to the loans they, in most cases, need to have to get it, and then have the kind of jobs that allow those loans to be uh, paid back. We want good pilots in the air. We want lots of, of uh, people prepared to do a job that takes lots of people. And I think we're seeing a lot, of, a number of things happen now to meet that pilot shortage. I believe there's a pilot shortage. Uh, most of the airlines do, particularly in the regional airline areas. Uh, finding the people you need that have the skills you need uh, very important. That that regional issue is the real issue. That um, you know, obviously, the big carriers can do well and attract the people that they want to attract. But then you have these regional airlines, and so we have to focus on what are the tools that can be used to continue to build that pipeline. We never, never want to shortchange on the training. Uh, Captain Sullenberg gave testimony to our hearing. I think it was one of the most dramatic uh, testimonies ever, where he said, you know what, when you, it's you and the co-pilot sitting next to you, sometimes you don't even have time to communicate. Right. You're just going to do your job, and they're going to do their job. And after the Colgan Air incident, which was a regional carrier in which a woman from the Northwest was one of the co-pilots and lost her life, we need to do better at training. So let's focus on what we can do to make sure the regional carriers continue to get a workforce for the future. All right. Well, that's all the time that we have. Senator Cantwell, Senator Blunt, thank, thank you guys you. so much for joining us. I'm going to turn things over to my colleague, Lori Aratani, who's going to have our next discussion. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you all. Thank you, guys. Thank you all. Thank you, Sean. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.